0: Anybody along this entrepreneurial journey at some point I think comes to realize that, that there's no magical endpoint. it's just you're climbing this ladder and, and the rungs change and are different and then you, you crush one and you move on to the next one and you just keep climbing, and, but there's no end to the ladder, it just goes on and on and on until the day we die, enjoy that journey.
1: So, so, welcome to Building Bigfoot Podcast. This is the podcast about growing yourself and growing your business profitably. And uh, I'm really excited to introduce uh, Robert Charm here. He's a uh, fellow founder. I've known you for a few years uh, in Kelowna. You are into cycling. You're into a whole bunch of uh, awesome things. We were down in Boston. Uh, I don't know a couple months ago already, and uh, just had an awesome time and. Uh, Rob's like one of the coolest people you ever meet, nicest guy, uh, best best human award goes to Rob. <laughs> and oh, man. Uh, yeah, you're, you're just a stellar and you, you've been building this really, really amazing company and uh, absolutely, uh, you know, helping them book appointments and, you know, route those appointments and connecting people with their clients. And uh, why don't you share a little bit about your company and then we'll dive into how you got started and your whole journey uh, to where you are today.
0: Yeah. Thanks, John. Um, That's uh, a humbling uh, introduction there. I appreciate it very much. And uh, gosh, you know, we were just chatting a little bit before we got on here, just about about the journey. And I, I gotta say, you know, you visualize all the time, like where you want to be and what you want to do and all those types of things, but, but you never really know, like nobody can predict sort of how that's going to go or we're going to end up like a hundred percent. You just, you're literally running the gauntlet, right? And you just, you end up somewhere and you're like, How did I end up here? But that's just all part of the journey. You never really know where it's going to take you. But kind of leads me down to, like, what do we do? Like, my company, um, Rootzilla, we help uh, home service providers never lose a lead because of scheduling. And that journey all began many moons ago. when I used to have a service company myself, and it's led us down a pathway where we've been able to help companies like Tesla automate their mobile service scheduling. We've helped uh, home service providers in 70 different countries um, automate their, their mobile scheduling of their service appointments and all that. And uh, to the point today where we've got a pretty groundbreaking uh, partnership that we are working on with uh, Google that I'd love to share a bit about uh, later on in the show as well.
1: Yeah, no, I do think this is a cool partnership you got with Google and, uh, To say I'm jealous would be an understatement. (laughs) It's so cool. So we'll get into that for sure. So where did it begin? Like, did you did you always know you were going to be like? Did you have that entrepreneurial gene as a kid, Uh, or or where did you figure out that you were going to get into business?
0: Yeah, it's kind of it's it's in my blood. Uh, My dad was an entrepreneur. Actually, both my parents grew up very. I I would say are relatively poor, and I share a little story about. About my dad, he's passed now, but um, when he was a kid, his family moved out from Saskatchewan to British Columbia, and they lived in a little community called Millardville in uh, Coquitlam, which was a French community. My dad was about 13 years old, and he didn't speak English. And uh, they were living in a chicken coop. They were so poor, they were living in a chicken coop behind the beer parlor. And so my dad would go out and he would grab the cigarette butts that were on the ground outside the beer parlor and take what was left over, you know, tobacco that was left over on them and roll new cigarettes and sell them to the guys out back in the beer parlor to make a little bit of money and, and begin his journey of an entre- of entrepreneurship and, you know, making his own way and getting out of the hole. Um, fast forward like several years, my mom, dad, and they met, they got together and ended up having 11 kids. So I have 10 siblings. Um, we, always had everything that we needed. My dad was, you know, he got into developing houses. Like he went and learned, you know, how to, you know, he started off with a bulldozing company. Then he got into building houses and over his lifespan, he built over 2,500 homes, a couple of hospitals. Um, you know, he gave us a life where it's interesting, like where we just learned entrepreneurial ship, entrepreneurship, like vicariously through him, like the phone, sat in the middle of the dinner table and this is you know dating myself a little bit but a little bit before the 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 cell phone where my dad would come home in the evenings and he would sit there put the phone on the table and that's when he would make all of his business calls because he'd been on the road all day he didn't have a cell phone so now was the time when he got home he could you know call people back and 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 uh, whatnot and so we all sat there around the table you know watching my dad pick up the call and talk pick up the phone and talk to this guy, talk to that guy and talk business. And so we were all just sort of vicariously learning entrepreneurship and business through him, you know, um, every night at the dinner table, it was just part of our, our daily conversations. And so it's interesting. If you look at my sibling group, I think probably seven of us are entrepreneurs now, like have our own businesses. So I'm at the exact number, but it, it's, it's high. And I think that it, that is why, and, um, myself, it's, it, you know, to sort of pinpoint, did I even identify it as entrepreneurship at any point or, or consider myself that like early on? Probably not. Like, I mean, I remember just being in university and thinking, what am I doing here? I, I don't want to go work for somebody else. I've got all these ideas I want to get started on. I feel like I'm like time is passing me by and I'm just eager to get going. And so, I, I mean, at that point I couldn't have put a name to it. I didn't know what was going on inside me or who I was or how I ticked, but that's what it was. And, uh,
1: just an entrepreneur, I think from birth. Wow. So when you were watching your dad make those calls, did you think to yourself, um, other than this is just normal life, like what, like, you know, you know, what a privilege it is to actually get to be part of that and experience it and learn from it. I similar watching my folks grow up you know, they had us when they were pretty young and then we moved countries and just kind of went through the whole experience. So i got to watch them kind of restart again from ground zero. Being a part of that, watching it, observing it is one of the things that I feel has been contributed probably the most to some of the successes that I've experienced later in life because of the fact that I got to see them go through the hard times and then later experience the rewards from it. And... um it's such a blessing did you when you were watching it, did you ever think to yourself, you know that looks really hard? I wouldn't want to do that, or was it more like how did your dad uh what was his body language what you know what I mean like what was between the lines there was he um how how did he communicate what he was doing
0: well one thing that um if I was to look back now and reflect and probably again this a lot of this would have gone over my head growing up, but he never complained never ever felt sorry for himself it just was just part of his day-to-day i mean i mean maybe he would get i mean he went through lots of now i look back and i had an understanding of some of the challenges that he dealt with and all that ups and downs with the market especially being a developer you know there was times when they when they you know they things went really well and then the profits were were lucrative and everything else and then there was times when I remember even like the you know the banks coming through and trying to sell our home from beneath us because the market had just collapsed. Like I know in the early '80s, like, um, interest rate rates went through the roof, and and that my that hit my dad really hard, as it hit a lot of people really hard. So I mean, but I you watch all you know all that now, and you look back, and you have you know you're able to understand like what really went on. But when I look at how he reacted, I there was nothing different. Like he was always consistent. He never complained. Um, he never, he just, I, and I, I looked at that and I think, you know, you know, there's a, there's an interesting, sure. An, an interesting, uh, insight on that. I was reading a book re- recently about how you could turn any tough situation, any moment, like into like a holy moment, say, um, this challenge right here, I can either I can either um, let this defeat me, and um, and let it turn me into something that I, I'm not meant to be. Just like let this challenge win or, or beat me, or I can defeat it, and make it a make it a holy moment, make it into something that I was actually born to do. Make it like I've been given this challenge as a gift and an opportunity, so I can. Um, I could take on this challenge and make it great, make it holy, make it holy like like it's something that my creator gave me to take on that is actually something precious and just consistently go right through it um, and and use it as an opportunity to make myself all that I can be and become, you know, versus letting it defeat me.
1: That's powerful. I I think of uh, that study forget her name, but she's a, uh, I believe she, was a Har- she is a Harvard professor. And uh, they did a study at Harvard where they took uh, candidates and they measured their um, testosterone and cortisol levels. Uh, and then they put them through a series of tests. Maybe you've heard of the study. And one of the things they did is they, they measured what happens when you pre-frame someone versus not. So let's say you're going to put them through the fireman's test. If you don't tell somebody, um, like, what to expect? they go through that test, and they're just like, "This is hell. <laughs> like you're just surviving your life, right um, but then, uh, what they did is they uh they would say to the fifty percent of the participants, "You know, you're gonna go through this experience, and when you're done with it, you're gonna be more prepared and more able to handle these other things that are gonna come up at you later, and what they discovered is that afterwards the cortisol levels were significantly lower, testosterone was higher for individuals that had been pre-framed versus those who hadn't. And it's just its just a little bit of like, what is the my mental psyche as I approach the things I'm about to? So that was the first thought I had. And then the second one is about gratitude, like the power of gratitude. It's like in all moments. I had this conversation with a friend, which I won't get into too much, but um, it was cool. I had a lot of my buddies come together. I haven't seen them for almost 20 years. And we had we were sitting out at this um uh at this brewery and and we're just all chatting, you know, chatting the night away. And one of my friends was, I haven't seen him in many years, but he was really struggling with the whole, like, do I have you can you can tell the question was like it was about having power in one's life, like agency, choice versus circumstance. And um, and we're getting this conversation and it got to this thing, and he kind of got to this place where he was saying in his in his argument. He's like, you can't have gratitude because gratitude is a first world, like a first world problem. And being born in Africa and coming from there, and and I would say the truth is exactly the opposite. Look at people who have very little and look at how they behave and then see how people behave in in a situation where they have more than enough, like overabundance. And I think that the power of gratitude is the thing that really takes people from a place of Um, struggle to a place where they are in a whole nother level of of um, empowerment and it and it's it's a beautiful thing because it totally transforms a person's life because all the things they have suddenly become more enough more than enough like you're just you're so grateful for that cup of water you're so grateful that it's clean water you're so grateful for this roof over your head you know it's it's whatever it is Um, you're so grateful for a floor to sleep on it's it's That is the empowering thing. And then you wake up with energy the next morning, and you, you know, and the human capacity to create kicks in. And um, it's just fascinating. It's a fascinating thing. But yeah, it sounds like your dad carries all that plus humility, plus consistency, plus.
0: (laughs) It was, um, well, he did. And, uh, um, you know, I always, I mean, I always hope that I could be just a fraction of what he was. I mean, I, I don't think I'm running out of time here. I don't think I have 11 kids, but uh, as we were just talking before, I'm 43 now, so that's probably not going to happen. But um, yeah, if I could, if I could become just a fraction of what he was, um, you know, or, or live that, take a little bit of what he, the way he lived and, and live it myself. Um, I know that that's the, the road of embracing challenges and then the true road of, of enjoying happiness and and all that life has to offer it's like that with with every mountain that we have to climb is is uh is the the joy that we seek in this life and uh so it's like looking for those mountains and and taking them on climbing them don't run from them um yeah there's lots more I could I could share about my dad I just want to share one more point about my dad like talking about you know gratitude and all that or never complaining and then and then just sort of like you these opportunities just presenting themselves in your life, like even maybe immigrating to Canada or whatever it might be that, you know, um, I don't think these ha- things happen by accident. I think there's a certain mindset that leads people towards them. And one example that I think with my dad was um, mother, mother Teresa came to visit Vancouver in the nineties. And uh, my dad's a pretty humble guy. He just went about what he did. In his day to day, and and uh, and I was he was never looking for attention, or was not an attention seeker. We didn't have social media and all those things. And he was asked uh, to be Mother Teresa's chauffeur to drive her around Vancouver while she was in Vancouver for uh, three or four days, whatever it was, and and to drive around in our humble minivan. And uh, and so, um, I think just what that speaks to for me, like I can tell people that story, and I'm like, what your dad. Drive around Mother Teresa, like like how? Did,
1: how That's did that amazing. Happen?
0: And yeah. I go, all the people that could have driven her around, and you know, um, why my dad? And I think just because of the way he um, lived his life, like it just people people notice when when you don't complain, when you just take life on as it is, and and you just keep climbing those mountains. And I think it just and you're and you're grateful, as you mentioned, it just attracts all sorts of goodness around you and uh, creates lots of uh, opportunity and holy moments.
1: Yeah, holy moments. I love it. It's cool. I, I really think, um, yeah, something to that. So I could, we could do an entire podcast on this. I just I have probably like 20 more questions I could ask, but, but moving forward, so then you, 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 you were in university. You're like, this isn't for me. Uh, what, how did you get into entrepreneurship from there?
0: Yeah, so I had played like competitive hockey growing up. I mean, I, I've always been very much like I've got a goal, and it's like blood, sweat, and t- blood, sweat, and tears—everything in me to accomplish that goal. And so, growing up, it was always you know professional hockey, and I mean, and actually, I was I was big into football too. It was professional hockey, professional football, and uh, so I was in university, um, and I had uh, just finished playing a year of college hockey and uh i could kind of see the writing on the wall like first time in life all right you know what i'm, I'm probably not going to make the nhl but then i thought but if i take everything that i put into hockey in my life and i put that into something else like i wonder what would happen and then so i got talking to some buddies about um, creating this you know i like hockey so so i'm creating this hockey school business well you know obviously it's not reinventing the wheel. There's lots of hockey school companies out there and all that. Uh, But what we, we found out was that the the government of Canada at the time was um, issuing, or I should say hockey Canada at the time was issuing all this money out to minor hockey associations to help with the skill development of their coaches and all that. And this was something they were really struggling with because they had parents coaching who didn't really play the game at a high level and all that. So we said, well, we could build this company uh, around providing these minor hockey associations with the skill development and training packages they need. We could come in and run these programs for them, and uh, we could take that Hockey Canada funding to fund this program. And so we created this whole business around that. And the company actually is this was back in two thousand and twenty-one, but the company's still running today. But that was so I we got I got really super excited about that and and to the point where you know not even doing my hardly doing my schoolwork anymore I'm just so excited about this this new uh uh, business that a friend and I are putting together and I just wanted to go I wanted to dump all of the energy that I put into playing hockey over the years into this business like I just didn't have time for anything else it just it um it 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 just it, it drove me it was I can't even describe it, but when it's, when you're an entrepreneur, I think, and you have a, you have a, a mission, like something you want
1: yeah, it's to do and right? bring
0: to the world. It's just, you can't s- stop. Like you're, you're all in. And I don't think everybody has that, but I definitely had that. And that was definitely the first aha moment that, you know, um, I'm not going to do anything with this schooling. I'm not going to be a teacher. I was actually going to school to become a teacher. I was like, that's not going to work for me. I can't, I can't have a ceiling cuz I'm the kind of guy that's going to go above and beyond and all in and and want to, you know, make something as great as it possibly could be.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting when you say that. So you're 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 playing the long game always. So cuz whenever I hear like don't have a ceiling, it's the th- the 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 reality is is that a person who who has a ceiling or not necessarily has a ce- ceiling but is comfortable with it they can actually do a lot better in the short term. Uh, But if you can, if you can put aside uh, the reward for a period of time and you break through to that next level, the payback period is quick. It's just, you got to get there. And some people won't. um, uh, It's like that, that picture where they're, like, they're chiseling through the rock and there's like the guy who's walking back and then the other guy just below him is like one swing away from hitting the, the gold, uh, some people will turn around. And so there's a, there's a, you know, part of the knack is knowing that you're on the right path, but usually when you have clarity of vision and you're entrepreneurial, you know, you're on the right path. It's not a question of whether or not you're on the right path. It's just, um, it's just moving forward in that direction quickly so that you you accomplish that outcome um i was speaking to do you know do you remember have you met um um uh tom kelly
0: mm, sounds familiar
1: Where okay i know i'm from yeah you do the sas academy i'm not sure if you've met tom kelly or not yeah okay he's a great guy i interviewed him on the podcast um a couple months ago and He shared his philosophy in business, which is like, throw out, throw away all the outcomes. Like throw away the car, the boat, the house, just, just get rid of it because all that stuff's going to come anyways, but just, just get rid of it and then, and then watch what happens. And, uh, Because his whole philosophy is that, because he's, I think he said he started like 20 something businesses and they all failed. (laughs) So (laughs) (laughs) And he's he's had one business that uh, has just, um, didn't start off as where it is today. Like it took him like 15 years, but today it's just massive. It's just grown so successfully. And
0: I'm just going to say, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I mean, a story like that, like wouldn't. Wouldn't any logical person say, "I'm not cut out for this after 20 failures"? But like, I, I'm curious to know, like, why would he? Why would you keep going? Why would he keep going? Right? Like, what was Because he's your the same same thing. Yeah. He's yeah.
1: he's wired that way. Like, it's there's literally nothing else he is more designed for than to go on this path. And he realized once he threw out the outcomes, he could sustain the path for forever. And then guess what? The fruit of sustaining path. Are the outcomes later, and um, yeah, and it's it's funny how it it works that way. So then you 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 like uh, we we need to play some pond hockey in the winter. You, yeah. You'd school me, <laughs> <laughs> you'd totally school me, but it'd be fun. Um, so then you you get into this entrepreneurial thing, and what happens?
0: Uh, so that was my first sort of learning in the like you can't teach this stuff in school and i tell this people all the time but it was sort of my first learning like okay putting together like a, a business structure there was me and my buddy and then he brought in another buddy and we were kind of splitting the pie too many different ways and then we wanted to expand out of vancouver and i thought well, i'll take it to the without doing a heck of a lot of research or knowing anything about market research at all or any of that kind of stuff and and like how to grow a business you know, beyond where you're at, like just, just learning, just seeking out opportunity and learning. Um, I decided I was going to move to the Okanagan uh, to, to uh, and bring the business here while coming to a market, like 2 million people in Vancouver and it's under a hundred thousand people here at that time. And, and then you've got a lot of retired hockey players here and lots of hockey things going on already and thinking that we're going to somehow um, make a similar amount of money in, you know, in Okanagan with this business and we kind of st- started splitting things up in such a way, well that didn't happen and so here I found myself having to pick up other work on the side, started building you know, framing houses with my brother, which you know, my brother was, he's an entrepreneur he has his own framing company and and he got into that under my dad's umbrella in the construction world And so I, that stuff was all, always easy like I could just jump in and pick up any of that kind of, that type of work anytime. I mean, I grew up doing it. And so I I picked up that kind of stuff on the side and got busy doing that. And then um, I quickly was like, you know, I was thirsting for something more. I'm like, okay, well this, this hockey school business thing is not going to make me what I want to make. And I just feel like the sky's the limit. I could do anything. Uh, I mean, I was, I was living a life where, I mean, I would wake up at four in the morning and work till 10 at night. I didn't care. Like I just was everything all in. I mean, that obviously changed when I met my wife and, and I have to operate a bit differently now with my wife and kids and all that. But at that time, I mean, that's, that was it. I had all the energy and and everything to dump into whatever I was doing. And my dad ended up doing a development here in uh, Peachland, And, uh, he said, you want to make some extra money? He goes, you can come and do the landscaping for this development. So well, I don't know how to do that. And well, figured it out. So I went to the local nursery and got some advice and guy came out, brought me all my plants and everything kind of told me what to do. And, and uh, I did it. And then that, that project won like this local award for like the top landscape that year in, in Peachland. And, and I thought, oh, man, like, that was pretty easy. Like, I could I could go, you know, the economy was starting to boom here. I could, I could go and get a bunch of these. And then I could hire a bunch of people to work for me. I mean, all I had at the time was actually this little Geo Metro car that, surprisingly, you can actually fit a wheelbarrow on the back, which I learned. So that was my first landscape <laughs> uh, vehicle that I stuffed and uh, and you can and you can put a couple of rolls of sod on the roof as well if, if you want to without caving it in but um so that was my first landscape vehicle that, and uh, i got well, <laughs> sorry go yeah you go on
1: here. i got a funny story about that uh,
0: okay so i uh and then I, I went back to the nursery and i said hey you know that remember that job you guys helped me do brought the plants out and all that won this little award i said um what do you say like anybody comes in here looking for a landscaper you send them my way and they're like well hold on like we don't there's lots of landscapers out there we don't know you from the hole in the ground but okay kid we'll give you a shot like next couple that come in we'll send them your way and see what you do and that just blossomed into um the next thing you know like they had sent me you know they were sending me like hundreds of leads uh, just right from the nursery like people that had bought plants and wanted to somebody to come in and put them in and all that and this thing ended up growing and growing to the point where we had 15, you know, employees, dump trucks, everything and um I was even asked at one point to go on a garden show and talk about plants and stuff and I was not a not a garden guru <laughs> one bit. I was 100% entrepreneur that just like just fell into this opportunity where it seemed to be like easy easy money and it was just in the, you know Um, focus on just growing and adding people to the machine and and making it bigger and getting the name out there and all that uh, which leads me to kind of another shift in my story but I'll which I'll get to after.
1: That's amazing so you've built this you're building this really thriving business and you're doing everything really well like going I never would have thought of going to nursery but it makes so much sense get getting that relationship going and I, it's funny, I'm not sure if you, you saw that video, but you talk about like payload, like on a couple bags of sod on the car, it'd be okay. Uh, I watched this guy. He went to um, get one of those bags of dirt, you know, where they sell them by like the cubic yard. And, uh, and he's like, just put it on top of the roof wrap. <laughs> <laughs> and he could just see the guy. He's like, he's got his boom, and he's like, no, nah, I don't know if this is a good idea. And he's like, gives him the thumbs up. He's like, do it, it'll be fine. I'm like, oh no, those, those roofs are designed to hold like maybe 120 kilograms, like that'd be max. (laughs) Just flatten the car. (laughs) And you see the guy like, like putting his thumb like up, 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 but it was too late.
0: (laughs) Uh, oh, Oh, that was me. I would have tested those limits. I actually upgraded to a Chrysler K car that had like the station wagon. So I thought I could fit more, but the suspension wasn't actually as good. On that is my uh, as my uh, Geo Metro, so we ended up loading up a way more sod on the roof of that than we should have, and the roof ended up like caving in, like this. The back end was sliding on the ground, um, but that uh, yeah, that was that was a turning point. We had to upgrade to a truck uh, after that, <laughs>
1: yeah. Tr- trucks are great for that kind of thing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, tr- <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. that's funny. So then, um so then what what goes on from there?
0: Uh so from there um so we kind of I, I just started getting like deeper and deeper into this business because you know I'm I'm an entrepreneur and I'm just like okay I'm going to just keep building it getting bigger and wasn't but then it was like What year like, was this? This is uh like 2008
1: and 2008. uh yeah, So you're getting so, married.
0: Yeah, oh yeah and uh Oh yeah. We had, we had lots of plants in the hall at our wedding. We decorated that thing to the nines and um, I had all my employees at our wedding. And I was, uh, it was crazy. I don't even, it, it's crazy cause I'm not, I don't have that business anymore and I'm not in touch with those guys, but I just was thinking back and they're all, all my staff were at our wedding. And, <laughs> and uh, but, uh, that was, that was a special time. Uh, anyway, so 2008, so we get married and then, a lot of things changed in the world and in 2008 it was you know quite the uh, global collapse of things and so we got married in May of 2008. Um, we had just finished uh, building I just finished building a new house the previous year and so my wife and I moved into that that new house and then we had another house and then we bought an acreage where we were going to move all the equipment and trucks to that we were accumulating for the business and and, was that uh, on the west side? That was on the west side, yeah. And uh, and so everything was, was, was kinda kinda great. And then uh, the economy shifted in about September of of oh eight to where, you know, like housing prices started collapsing and everything else. And so we kinda wanted to cash in on our the new house that we had built and and uh, and we just like we literally sold it just in time. Like a month later we probably would have lost you know, another 50 grand or something on it. But we, we sold it at just the right time and started building a, a new home on the west side on the acreage uh, that we had and um, continued to grow the company, except in, the, in the, the local economy here in Kelowna. I think at that time there was something like um, it, was, it was mostly like single family homes going in. And so we were doing a lot of those projects like landscape projects And I think they went from something like 3000 building permits a year down to 600. And then you had guys moving in from the oil industry and everything. And if they didn't have work and then what do you do when you don't have work, you pick up a wheelbarrow and a shovel like I did back in the day and you start a landscape company. So, you know, the market was like flooded with people just trying to do whatever to make some money. And so I started, this is the, you know, you're running the gauntlet. I gotta, gotta pivot here. I gotta keep, keep this thing going. And, I started getting into bidding on government tenders like at this time when the economy goes south, the government starts spending more money on these, um, you know, cap these improvement projects and everything else. Cause I think they can, you know, cause they can get a lot done for a lesser amount of money. And so we started bidding on all those types of projects. We ended up, you know, landing a job where we put in the aquapave parking lot in city, city park here in Kelowna. We did a couple kilometers of, Boulevard roadway and walls and Summerland. We did a project for the city of Golden, like a new square and park project for a city We were just kind of going all over. We were um, doing these big projects. And, um, and during that time, we also started looking at, I was looking at, okay, well, what else can we do? That's kind of recession proof. Like what do people need? No matter what the economy's doing, I've got this, team i've got these resources like what else can i do with this with this machine and um the nursery that we had first gone into about well um, well, i guess would be eight or nine years previous um had an irrigation department with, with with about 700 homeowners that they looked after and they said hey do you want to take over like our irrigation service department there's 700 people here like basically we're done with it like you know we worked out a deal and um took it over and we just thought this that, this was fantastic because with irrigation there are certain things that need to be done no matter what like you need to winterize you know we're in northern climate you gotta, <laughs> you gotta winterize your pipes in october or else yeah. they're gonna freeze and most people don't know how to do that and they're gonna hire somebody to do it so this kind of things. and then in the spring you got to start that back up again. And so we just thought. Every, every
1: yeah. spring we start irrigation, it's like two, three <laughs> of the. the <laughs> pop, pop. <laughs> oh yeah, they're all, they're popping. They're I'm like, oh, I got to replace that one. One, one I think is fine, but it's just shooting in a straight line. And I find out about a month later, I'm like, where's everything green in one line?
0: <laughs> you, know, the, you're, you're at, uh, you know, freezing pipes is probably not in your uh, South African uh, DNA, but no. <laughs> you never had to deal with that.
1: <laughs> no it's funny we didn't have to deal with uh, winter tires either that caught my folks by surprise <laughs> oh
0: yeah
1: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Although you did spend
0: some time in saskatchewan though so you, you, you've you've yeah. experienced real winter before coming to bc but yeah. um anyhow so here we were we we uh um we had this this business it was like we bought it in like september and then in october we had 700 places to be and four people to do it and this became the next sort of struggle slash opportunity holy moment that that led us down the road of creating our software company, Rootzilla, as we know it today. Um, and so what happened there was, you know, we had three people in the office, like phoning, texting, emailing, um, trying to create efficient routes. You know, it was fixed price type services. So you had to be really efficient to make money off of it. And we hardly made any money because between having, you know, the payroll of three people in the office to coordinate it and guys running around burning gas and labor left and right, just trying to get it all done. It was a disaster. And so um, this was the the next sort of shift um, in our, I guess, challenge that brought the next opportunity. And we started looking for, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, but we we wanted to find a way to automate this whole process and make this business uh, profitable. And uh, we're still, on that track, this is this is uh, two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, and we're still on that track today as a result of that 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 shift or that wonderful um, downturn in the economy that happened in two thousand and
1: eight. Wow! So so that's how you got into Rootzilla. So now, did you know right away this was going to become a, a tech company or? How did that transition happen?
0: Absolutely no intention on creating a tech company at that time. Um, so
1: what year would this been?
0: So this would have been like 2009, 2010, like in that
1: 2009.
0: area. Two thousand nine, Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, same as us. Yeah. Interesting. Oh, really, <laughs> and, uh, I think that's it. I think I met, I think I met Steve probably in, uh, 2012 ish. So that, yeah, that makes 2012, sense. 2012. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, uh, what happened? We collect my thoughts, my thoughts here. So um, what I didn't want to do is reinvent the wheel. And I was not looking at building a tech company or nothing. I just wanted to fix my own business, which actually was also, also interesting. Something that I did at that time is over the winter, like with the landscape business, you always had a lot of downtime over the winter. And uh, so I read this Tony Robbins book and he talked about just kind of visioning like mapping like goal setting and envisioning like what you want to be and do and who you want to be and and all that um and I think I'd mentioned early earlier on about how I didn't I was not a plant guru you know landscape kind of guy I just was an entrepreneur um and and here I was just kind of that's kind of where my life was going. Like I just, anybody that ever talked to me always wanted to ask me questions about plants and walls and rocks and dirt. And it's like, ah, oh man, like I'm not that passionate about this, this kind of stuff, but okay. I mean, that's, that's who people see me as. And um, I'm an entrepreneur, so I'll roll with it as long as it, you know, continues to build this business and I'll do it. Um, but I, I read this book and it, and I started thinking about, you know, a life where I could kind of run my business from anywhere. You know, I could be that family guy, you know, priority being time with my family and similar to my, my dad, more like my dad, like he, you know, he built all these homes and everything else and was extremely hard worker, but he was always there with us every step of the way. It wasn't like he was off somewhere else. I mean, we were, we were all there with him as part of the journey and living that journey together. And, and, that's, that's what I wanted. And I wanted, you know, I started envisioning like how I could build this journey and take it this anywhere. If we wanted to move here or there, we could, you know, we could work remotely. This is pre COVID obviously. And uh, so <laughs> where, where everybody got for, forced into thinking that way, but um, so When we went looking for a solution for the landscape company, again, we didn't want to reinvent the wheel, so we were looking what's out there, and we came across the website for 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and we saw how you could enter a zip code and then get a dump truck all booked, and it was all automated before even speaking with anybody, and and I'm thinking, wow, that's amazing. Like I just filled out this form there's actually a truck coming to my house and I haven't even talked to anybody. Like it's done. It was that amazing. And then when we went looking at like getting a solution like that, it wasn't something that was readily available off the shelf. There wasn't anything like that. And uh, so we said, okay, well, let's see if we can try to build something similar and let's see if we could send out like a link to people in an email to our customers, if they would click it enter the address that they want their irrigation winterized at and then choose a time based on what we have for that address and see if they'll actually do that. I mean, there's a lot of retired people here. Maybe they might be skeptical of this link and all that. Let's just see if this will work. So I hired um, a young developer. He was in grade 11 at the time. And um, we worked kind of over a three month period, just kind of, I, put together like some screenshots and say, make this screen do that and that screen do this. And and let's see if we can get this to the point where it'll actually work. And we did, it was pretty rickety, um, but it was enough for like a proof of concept. And that uh, following September, we sent out an email to 400 of our customers, say, hey, check this out. We got this link, click it, enter the address you want us to come to and then book a time. And so 400 emails on a Tuesday. And by Thursday, we had over 200 appointments booked. Without anybody in the office having to do
1: a single thing other than press send on the email, those moments. So when you do that and you see that, ah, oh, <laughs> those are the best moments, that, right? That
0: was the aha moment. That was the game changer, I and mean, that was a major shift right there. And but again, actually, we didn't think uh, initially. Like,
1: did you throw a big party? Like, <laughs> did you? Were you like, this is it?
0: <laughs> well, we just—it was like our life just suddenly got. 150 times easier it was just like this big weight off that's right and it was like wow we can now we could just we could scale this we could just add more customers in and no big deal you know i mean it was there was still manual work that we did on the back end like it's not anything like what rootzilla is today but it was enough just to capture people into a funnel it was that sort them it was the
1: moment right oh
0: yeah fledgling idea yes it was uh it was i mean i i'll never forget that moment i remember just sitting there um that evening as we we sent the email and just getting all these notifications like ding 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 like all these bookings coming in and it's it's interesting because our customers get that same thing today when they sign up for rootzilla and they're like is this going to work i don't know i'm going to send this out i'm going to put this on my website and and then all of a sudden, ding, 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 these bookings start coming in and they're all booked out efficiently, exactly where they wanted to be on the map, you know, and, and uh, they're like, oh my gosh, like I haven't done anything. This is just happening. I'm just sitting here watching my business grow like in front of, you know, <laughs> with every ding. It's amazing. So it's it's an it was an amazing feeling and a day I'll never forget.
1: Oh, those I <clears throat> there's a few of those moments in, in our history as well. And you just – they're, they're so cool. They're like, they're so fun. Cause it's, they're really not even expected. You do all the work, but you're not even expecting an outcome. And then you're, you're, it happens and you're just like, Oh, like, <laughs> this is it. There's something here. Like, let's, let's keep digging. Like, this is exciting. It's kind of like the, you, you, you dig a lot of holes and then occasionally you strike oil and you're like, this is it. Let's maybe we should build a facility right here.
0: This is something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It's, uh. There, there's a. I don't know where we are in your ladder questions, but um, I'd love to share sort of where this, where that led. Yeah, go from there, but uh, because it's pretty interesting. Because we, then it was probably about 2012 where we got the idea that oh, maybe we should turn this into a tech company, and um, you know we got in touch with Accelerate Okanagan at probably similar time that, that you guys did, and started learning about the tech space and learning about pitch decks and all that. And like what a, what a CTO is and a CMO and these different roles and all that stuff has just been, um, you know, again, things that you just learned, I think sort of, sort of hard knocks, like just going through them and experiencing them and realizing what you need right now and what you don't need and all that. Anyways, we, so we built this tech company, which is Rootsilla. You know, we took some of our learnings from what we had built before and said, well, you know, technically, like postal codes don't work that well. We can make it that much more dynamic. We can make it so that Rootzilla automatically um, limits the driving distance between appointments, by actually using real addresses in a more of like an Uber type uh, scheduling way or scheduling experience. Um, There's even, you know, there's issues like a postal code area here in the Okanagan, the Peachland postal code area goes all the way to Rock Creek, which is about a, you know, hour and a half drive or so from Peachland. And so if you were using that as your, as your booking um, zone, you would end up with potentially with two appointments booked side by side that are an hour and a half apart. So, so things like that that we were, we were able to overcome with building a real tech company and a real software that could accommodate all that. And it led us down the path where we pitched at this competition in Vancouver, I think there was about 2000 applicants it was put on by plug and play startup camp from the Silicon Valley. And we got picked as part of the top 30 to go and pitch in Vancouver. And then we got, they picked the top five but they were going to hand a term sheet to at the end of the night. Um, and so we made the top five and, and they handed us the term sheet. We basically had 24 hours or 48 hours or was to decide if we were going to uh, do this deal with plug and play, which also meant that we had to move to uh, Sunnyvale in the Silicon Valley and go spend the next uh, seven, six, seven months working with them through Startup Camp and all that, and really learning the whole tech scene from the Silicon Valley perspective. And so at that time, we had we'd actually decided to sell like the landscape irrigation company. We we sold all that, we kept the tech piece, and uh, I we called my wife that night she wasn't uh, at the event with me. And I said, I hey, pack your bags, honey, we're going to California. And so, you know, here we went and in January, we packed the car um, headed South and, you know, we were living the dream. We thought we were going to come home billionaires. And, uh, you know, like just overnight, like people were just going to see this and want it, which couldn't have been further from the, from the truth, because, you know, we're forward thinking entrepreneurs and thinking that every other home service company out there was thinking like we were at that time. was couldn't have been further from the case. This is now 2013, 2014. And, uh, you know, it wasn't until actually even today after the goings on of COVID and all that that have forced certain changes and how we do what we do that even companies like Google and Facebook are telling us that they're just starting focus on um bringing in solutions like ours because the consumers are demanding them and the service providers want them and really need them now and i'm thinking okay well that was like nine years ago we had that thought we were so ahead of it um but that's just that's the nature of the beast so we got moving ahead like into 2015 you know we just really struggled to grow and get other companies to use this and do their scheduling in this way and uh, we just kind of bootstrapped our way along kept the lights on just just kept onboarding new clients as best we could didn't have a whole lot of money to kind of keep the the product growing and improving and then in 2018 was actually the day that we were going um, we were at a foster home to adopt our daughter and uh, this email comes in this notification on my phone saying that you have a new sign up, It's so-and-so at tesla.com. And then over the next several days, it was just all these Tesla accounts started opening up and signing up for Rootzilla. And within a, within a month, they had over 300 employees using Rootzilla and we got on a call with them and they said, how did you guys come up with this? So this is exactly how like, we've got thousands of requests coming in per day for appointments. Like with the, for with Tesla's case, like instead of you in your car to the dealership, they come to you at your home or office to fix your car. So we've got thousands of requests coming in per day. And um, with RootCella, we can just like send these people this link and then they can just book themselves. And it's all efficiently booked like on the map. Like it's, you know, the driving distance or you're lumping a, you guys are grouping appointments together for us in a, in a in a workable distance so that we can actually get more appointments done in a day and all that. And, uh, you know, we did a little case study with them, over 50,000 appointments. We saved them an average of 16 minutes per appointment by eliminating all the emailing, texting, phoning, back and forth they were it's, doing it's the, <laughs> to schedule their appointments. It's the traveling
1: salesman math problem, like, right?
0: Just like we were doing with my irrigation yeah. company. So here's... Tesla, Fortune 50 company, prides themselves on building technology, finds little old Rootzilla um, and, and says, wow, these guys figured it out. They're doing it the way it should be done. Well, this was designed for a little irrigation company in Kelowna many moons ago. But, you know, it took kind of that point right there, surviving to that point to kind of breathe new life into us and bring us forward to where we're at today which is pretty exciting
1: okay so there's so many points to to make here which is really valuable i think the first point is um like well done rob uh you, you do you need to be able to survive and you need to be a certain amount of fortitude to to get there and then um and then your mind shifts, I think, along the way too, because, like you said, like you're you're moving to California. You're like, okay, it's going to happen overnight. It doesn't have happen overnight. And then you go through all the cycles of like, of of joy, following by sort of like surprise and disappointment and discouragement and despair, and then back to joy because <laughs> you're like hope. Back to oh wait, it's actually probably not going to happen for a long time. To gratitude. To grinding. To gratitude. To 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 okay, this is just now a path I got to walk for a while, and so that I think is like such a really important point for people to really like understand which is if you if you have a vision and a dream and you find something that's really really valuable guess what there's almost 8 billion people in this world I guarantee you you're not the only person that's really valuable for in fact the market is probably a lot larger than we realize and it's just about how do we get it into the hands of the right people so if you get it into a tesla boom game changing right and the the, the other thing I think that's like really worth noting, which I, I find really fascinating, is I, I mentioned the traveling salesperson problem, but that that's like a famous mathematical challenge that that engineers struggle with, and I can imagine that Tesla, being an engineering first company, they probably looked at that and were like, "How the heck do we solve this problem?" Meanwhile, you know, this team in uh, you know in, in founded in Canada has gone and solved this problem for them already the exact solution that they need. And it's like so often, like we'll plant the seed, but the germination period might be longer than we think it's gonna take, but it will germinate eventually. But this is why, you know, having the ability to grow a company, you know, like you said, you bootstrapped it for that time period, being able to sustain it is really important because sometimes time is the kiss of death. It's not that it wasn't the most valuable, it's just that you, you hit the market early. And when you hit the market early, you have to educate, you have to communicate and 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 it's hard to educate like you know it's it's one thing to put out there i'm a landscaper everybody knows what a landscaper is you know imagine being the very first landscaping company that i think is hard cuz people are like okay what do you do oh well, i'm a gardener oh so you're going to pull weeds no i'm not going to pull weeds i'm actually going to create the garden for you what well, what do you mean you're going to create the garden for me like it, it it's a whole new um it's a whole new industry at that time. And so that's the other part I think is really important is that if you get into the market early, know that you're in the market early and that you're going to have to educate people for a while. I think this is like important for anybody listening to this. And then, um, and when you educate, it takes time. So now let's, let's, so take us back to, uh, Silicon Valley. You've just gone back there from California. You're, you're, so you just moved there for the California you and your wife, um, And that's a crazy big change. What are some of the lessons that you learned there that you're able to apply that you're still seeing uh, the fruit of in your business today?
0: Yeah, I think one of the the biggest learnings entering the Silicon Valley was that uh, the the whole ecosystem sort of uh, embraces failure as a pathway to success. Like it is a part of how how that world ticks. Like it is, it's what it's all about. It's almost like you, you're not even credible in, in the Silicon Valley unless you failed. You know, it's and and versus coming from, you know, I we're, I think we're getting there in Canada, especially in the tech space. I mean, granted, it's not as um, it's still fairly new compared to places like silicon valley but it's uh yeah i mean right down there it's like people come there from all around the world like we, we rented this it's really hard to find a place to live for one it, it's like everything is expensive and through the roof and so we ended up renting this place at, um, at a renting a room at a hacker home which is basically a hostel for techies we couldn't afford anything else. We paid sixteen hundred bucks a month U.S., so you know you got to transfer that into Canadian dollars for a room in this house with about fifteen other guys um, who were renting, were sharing rooms with each other. Like some of them would be in a room of like six to eight guys at bunk beds, and they're working like one hundred thirty thousand dollar a year jobs at like Apple and Google down the street, living in the hacker home, like you know, uh, renting a bunk bed. Because that's, that's all they could afford or get their hands on. Um, so, but what was interesting, though, is these guys were from all around the world. You know, there are people coming from Italy, Korea, um, China. Like it was, and they were just so happy to be in America, to be in the Silicon Valley, and have a chance to live that American dream and to make a dollar. Or to have the, the freedom to fail. The freedom to try something. And convince others that they should get behind them and support this. And, 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 realizing that nothing happens without people being willing to failure, being willing to fail in this world. Nothing, nothing good comes out of, of people running from failure. You know, it, it's the pathway to, to success. It's why we have all these great things is that somebody was willing to take a chance. And that's what the whole sort of Silicon Valley environment was like to me is uh, you know, um, one of our portfolio managers said to me, he said, he goes, if you wanted to be, if you wanted to make millions off of selling pencils, he goes, you could make millions off of selling pencils. If you devoted your life's mission, he goes, and I said, but well, there's lots of people that sell pencils. So yeah, but if you devoted your life to that, made it your mission, you were not going to stop until you made millions off of selling pencils. You can make millions off of selling pencils. You know, it's not about whether or not somebody has done this before or anything like that. It's about whether or not you're willing to put in the work to make money off of this thing, assuming that it's something that, you know, others see value in. And, and, and obviously, if you've, you know, garnered enough proof points along the way to say, yeah, people do see value in this, it's probably worth me leaning in on. If you really, you know, like put in the work and don't give up, you could do it. And the other thing, sort of key takeaway from the Silicon Valley to me was that um, when you introduce your idea to people, their initial reaction to me was always, okay, how can we turn this into – like how does this turn into a billion-dollar business? How does that happen? Let's, let's brainstorm about that versus you know a lot of times when you talk to family and friends who don't understand like what you're doing the reaction is yeah, i think that's been done before or, i don't see how you're going to make money off that or i don't get it like why that seems crazy i think you're dreaming or i think it's all pi-, you know they don't understand like they don't understand why you would take that kind of risk why would you go
1: okay on that journey you, you've, you know? you've just said something there which you know being a Canadian entrepreneur. I have just become I've just normalized, which is that is the default response, and I would say it's not just friends and family and, you know and could just be um, the kinds of but but normally, I would say if you're gonna speak to anybody, even a potential mentor, that's gonna be their approach to conversation with us. They're gonna say ah, it sounds it sounds like maybe uh maybe the timing's off or like it's it's they coming from the skeptical component, and they're and the, and the, I think the um, the good intention is that they really do feel that this is the best way to help because they're like, well, if I can give them enough objections, I'll give them some fodder to think about. Maybe they can then go home think about how to overcome these objections, and they'll have a stronger business model, right? But what ends up happening is the brain takes that information and says, oh, maybe I need to pivot. Maybe I need doesn't think, oh, how do I you know, how do I make this bigger? It's thinking, how do I come up with something different? And what I love about what you just shared with the approach that you got from Silicon Valley, which is, okay, how do we turn this into a billion dollar? Like, like, like we're solving this together. Like together, let's think outside of where, beyond where we're at to where we could be. And then maybe we could figure out a path to get there. I So as soon as you even start using that language, my brain is like, like a magnet, right? It's like just drawn there. So it's like, Oh, I like that. <laughs> instead of like trying to, yeah. Instead
0: of trying to figure out like why this might fail, let's just like put our heads together and, 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 think what is, what is the biggest possible thing that this could turn into? And what would that take? Like What would need to be true for that to happen? Let's go there, you know, versus like, imagine if everybody you met, went there with you instead of saying, you know, trying to come up with all the things that maybe, you know, are reasons why maybe you weren't going to be successful at this. Imagine where our, our entrepreneurial, you know, society or, or you know, that aspect of our country would be at today. If oh, our man, I, to I others think was Canada like would that. be
1: so much uh-huh. further ahead. The number of, um, yeah. so we'd go to these tech like meetup meet and greets back in like, obviously similar circles. You then go to Silicon Valley. We stay in Kelowna and I continue to do the, the wine and dine cheese with the local angel investors and, you know, the peeps and I, I, we, I wasn't really interested in investment. I was, you know, we are we're different um, business model. And so we've kind of chosen that route. And, um, and so, but I got tired of like, so, so one of the things you get in these networking events um, is that you'd meet people and, they would say, "Tell me a little bit about your business," and so I'd start chatting to them a little bit about their business, and I'll ask them a little bit about themselves, and you know, and they'd be like, "Oh, I'm, you know, this and do that or whatever it is, you know, I um, advise to certain businesses," and then they'd be like, "Hey, tell me your MRR," and tell them MRR, I tell them like, you know, they, they go through like the same like three, four, five questions or whatever, and yeah, you're just yeah, this fledgling yeah. little startup back in the day, like you're just a baby, you're starting, you haven't, you know, you've yeah. got like a, you, you've got this. You know, maybe you got some good customers who love you, but that's about it, right? You have a, you have a, you know, you've put all your, your blood, sweat, and tears. And they're like, oh, I don't know. And MR is pretty small. Maybe you should, maybe you should shut this down. I, so twice, <laughs> twice I got that. Once yeah. from a, a really well meaning um, uh, uh, CTO, no, no CTO, uh, CFO. And, I was so excited. We're gonna bring a C- CFO into our company. They're gonna look at it, look at the numbers. And the other time was this other guy to meet and greet. And uh, I just like learned after that. I was like, okay, I'm like when people bring as soon as they like start asking certain questions, I can almost. It, it's like a, a reflex now. It's like ding 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 ding. <laughs> like, who else in this you know, room can you know I what's talk to next? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because I'm like, yeah. I'm so. I'm like I would rather have the kind of questions that you're just talking about now, which is let's talk about where things can get to and how we can get there and how we can solve those problems together, because that's what's inspiring. That's what you wake up for in the morning. Is you? It's like it's exciting when you take on a big problem and you're like, how can we? How can we go after it together? You know, that's that's fun. That's the fun stuff.
0: I, I find a lot of times that those those types of questions will come from. People who probably haven't walked in your shoes, you know, or they've, or they've come from maybe another walk of life. And, um, and that's, those are just kind of like learned. Um, those are things that are, those are probably questions that are taught in school, but they're not, you know, when you, I think what you end up, or what I found, what I ended up running into more in the Silicon Valley was people who had walked in my shoes, you know, and had started off with in a similar way you know trying to solve a real world problem i've been through all the ups and downs and everything like really grounded and and understanding of where you're at and trying to think of okay okay how can this guy like what needs to be true here like how can this guy get through this like he's got something here how can we you know what could i tell him that'll help him get through this
1: yeah it's you need a certain like you can always tell um you can always tell when you're talking to an entrepreneur who's who's been an entrepreneur for a while. And because, like you said, the kind of the kind of the way the conversation goes is so different. And the kind of questions that they ask and the things that they focus on are different. And it's it's refreshing. And I hope in many ways, in a small part, that this is what happens with this podcast is that people listen to this. And it doesn't matter what kind of business they're in that they get some sense of inspiration because there's, there's a certain amount of, there's certain people who, um, so the last guy interviewed Sam, he's, he's a creative, like his, his, he loves, um, you know, he loves putting his blood, sweat and tears towards specific projects. He's still very entrepreneurial, um, and is incredibly talented. Like he's an award-winning, like he's had his uh, feature premiere on Amazon in the U S like, He's, he's very talented, but it's like, it's about, how can I take my skills and craft and become and build that? And then there's other individuals who, uh, you know, like my, my neighbor up the street, like he's also a landscaper and that's his passion. He loves it. Right. And then you have, um, and then you have people who are wired, like yourself, who are very, um, you know, you, you just like, you're scratching the surface and you feel like you're, you could scratch so much more. Like you just know that there's something there's, there's, uh. Uh, and, and you bring on a company like Tesla and you're like, yes, this is kind of it, this is kind of a little bit more of what I'm, what I've seen in my future. And, uh, and, and so it doesn't really matter what your passion is or your hobby or interest or, what kind of business you are, none is better than the other. What it is, is more, if you're going after it, go after it. And I hope you feel encouraged to do that. I hope you feel encouraged and inspired to, to build the business of your dreams. Like if you're in real estate, if you are, uh, if you're serving clients literally remember that the business wouldn't like the world wouldn't be the same if you weren't doing what you do because there's customers being touched by you who are having a solution that you provide that wouldn't exist if you didn't do it. It just wouldn't like sure. Someone else might come up with something similar, but it would never be the same. It would never be what you provide the way you provide it. And, and that's a real impact that people are making in this world every single day. And sometimes I just want like people to know that just it's worth it. Right. Um, so go on. I, I'm I'm curious. Like, so so that that was profound. What what else? Um,
0: so well, what was what else was I guess interesting is that we ended up um, getting meetings with companies that we thought we had no business talking to. You know, we're this little, you know, struggling startup, and then we I, I went to this kind of hole in the ground you know, pitch practicing thing. There's lots of meetups and stuff down there. They take your pick and you never know who's going to be at one of them. And I go to this meetup. There's probably 20 people in the room. Then I get up and practice my pitch. And and then this guy pulls me aside after and he's like, uh, hey, um, I work for British Telecom. You know, it's a $16 billion company. And uh, I think they might be interested in what you're doing. And I'm like, "Well, okay. Um, uh, you know, well, again, you get excited, the highs and the lows, like you think one of these things you're just going to make, you're just going to hit it out of the park. And I had no idea what I didn't know at that point. But, of course, you go through the journey and you learn what a conversation like that, you know, with a company like that uh, looks like and how that goes. And little did I know, really, I think in the grand scheme of things, that was only just prepping me for the kind of things we're working on today. But uh, we went down that road uh, British Telecom, ended up flying out their CEOs from London and Ireland to meet with us in this, uh, you know, top floor uh, boardroom in, in uh, downtown San Francisco overlooking Alcatraz and the Bay. And, and uh, I'm sitting in the waiting room to go into this meeting with all these guys in suits. And, um, and I'm sitting beside this uh, little struggling startup just like myself company called DocuSign and uh, so the two two founders of DocuSign are sitting there and they're quite nervous about going into this meeting as well who's going first and they called me in and I went in and of course I was you know trying to be a little bit cocky and confident and all that just had a t-shirt on they're all wearing suits and ties and and, uh, had my Rootzilla shirt on went into this meeting and all these guys and then they were like yes yes you know oh yeah like everything went great and we get 800,000 home service type companies in the UK that we think we could sell this to and um but this is 2014 and you know what I know now I mean is that these companies are not looking for solutions like this and the consumer is not sort of looking to buy in this sort of way so um we just, we just ended, up, ended up going down this rabbit hole with them, and then we just never could get to the point where we got a deal done. So it just it, – it ended up sort of as just an, an amazing experience, and it was like a, just a learning, okay, which led to my next meeting in a similar boardroom, downtown San Francisco. Um, this other guy that I met, like do networking down there, he brings in um, the CEO of Gannett. Uh, from Washington D.C. and a bunch of their other executives and Gannett's the biggest media company in the U.S. at the time and uh, he gets a meeting with uh, with them and about 16 other companies set up in this boardroom and uh, all of these companies are like several millions in revenue and we're like virtually nothing And, and the whole idea is that Gannett wants to do something outside of the newspaper space and Get into selling like digital products and all that to the audience that they've been selling to advertising and whatnot to for years and, uh, and and looking for other things to get their sales teams working on and all that. And so I get up and I pitch and the, one of the Gannett executives cuts me off halfway through. And you know, Thankfully, I'm a little bit seasoned now because I had this, you know, whole meeting with British Telecom, like everything ladders up, right? And uh, so I'm not as nervous as I maybe was in that meeting, but I'm a little thrown off because this guy cuts my rhythm off, right? You know, as I'm in the middle of it. And uh, and then the guy that put together the meeting, Tom, he says, he goes, Oh, hold on. He's like, the guy's like, hey, look, no, no, this guy's like, this is too early stage. Like you're wasting our time. We flew all the way out here. Like, what is this? You know, again, like these 15 other companies are listening to our multi, you know, multiple millions in revenue. And Tom says, no, "No, just just let them finish. Just let them finish." Okay, so I get get back into my rhythm, and uh, and I finish. And we ended up being the only company that walked away that day with a deal with Connect. <laughs> so out of the sixteen, <laughs>
1: that, that's something to say though about that, right? Like you just never know what the outcome is going to be if you just
0: you, just keep battling. You just finish. Just push through, yeah. finish what you have to say. And you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Right. And, uh, and so, but it, the can, deal again, it was similar to like where we were discussing the British telecom. Like we were kind of, you know, ahead of our, our time and all that. And there just, there was it wasn't really the market there. And then, um, kind of want to fast forward a little bit to today where, um, we have this partnership, with Google,
1: Yes. Let's get into this. Yeah. So
0: there's a couple of things that happened like through COVID and all that. I mean, obviously the, the world got a little bit more digi- digital and in our interactions um, to the point where the, the consumer, the data is saying now that the consumer, 94% of consumers will go with the business that makes online scheduling easy. And one of the big areas that we really saw this, like take flight, during COVID was with restaurants, like reserving, you know, ordering online and all that sort of thing that leading up to, you know, as restrictions lifted and reserving tables and all that. And so one of the big things that Google did was, you know, but partnering with companies like open table, which has, I think, 31% of the restaurant market uses open table. It's like absolute dominance uh, of the market. But they did things like where a restaurant's profile on Google could have a big blue reserve a table button added to it. Um, and so Google saw this opportunity. OK, we've got companies like OpenTable. They provide these online booking solutions. We've got a consumer, 94 percent of which prefer to you know, to go with the business that makes online scheduling easy. You know, Google goes out and creates business profiles for Every business, whether you want a, a Google business profile or not, they're going to create one. And then you often see on these profiles, like if you, if it comes up in search, you know, if you're the owner of this business, please verify this information. You know, I've got your website phone number, phone number up there, maybe some photos that somebody dropped online. And so Google wants these experiences to be more trustworthy for the consumer. So they want the business to verify that profile. They want them to pay attention to it, keep reviews up to date. Um, and then in the restaurant space, what they found was that adding that reserve a table button there really encourages the business to pay attention to that profile and make the whole Google consumer experience um, that much better. And so about a year ago or a little over a year ago, we were at a SAS Academy event in, in Orlando. You guys were there. And um, there's a guy from the SAS Academy, Marcel, EMC, um, got talking to him. And, and uh, he says, you know, I'm going to be on this, uh, I'm having the CEO of this other, this company on my podcast. Who's like, a. am not going to mention any names um, because it uh, might be competitive in some, in some way, even to you guys too. But anyways, the CEO of this, this uh, company that provides like a marketing, a platform for marketers to
1: manage their clients. You, you can no, no. You can you can mention any like yeah. I really believe. Okay. I I got it two philosophies it in life. <laughs> One is there's more than enough for everyone. Oh, I got more than two bit than everyone, and I think like if we work yeah. together, the world just yeah. is better. Like mm-hmm. it's uh, so I, I really don't mind. Like you can mention anybody. Yeah.
0: So while the the, the company is high level, and uh, so like hey, Marcel is going to be having the CEO of high level on his podcast. And uh, he said, uh, do you want me to introduce you or ask him why all these marketing agencies don't use Rootzilla for their clients? And uh, I said, yeah, that'd be great. I don't know if he actually did that in the podcast or not. But um, he got me a meeting with, uh, with him and uh, we got on a call and he said, you know, we just did this uh, integration with Google where um, you can run an ad to our platform. And if anybody, um, you can run an ad through a platform. You can add a book now button to your ad. And he goes, and so it's really designed for like wellness or like brick and mortar type businesses that where you don't have to consider geography. And it, it's really great because you can run the ad, you can have this book now button in the ad, you're ranked high, and all that. It, it's great. He says, you guys should talk to Google about this about what you do. Oh, it was you through can,
1: him that he got connected to Google. Yeah,
0: Crazy. and so he said, you guys should talk to. Google. Talk to Google because um, what you're doing would be really powerful for home service, like considering geography and all that. I said, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, be great." He goes, well, you know what? I mean, I mean, he probably spends millions on, with Google every month. And he said, "Amount of money I spend with Google and all that." It took me six months to get a contact at Google to even get in on this. If you want, I'll introduce you guys. I said, "Fantastic! Yes, please. That'd be great." So he does an introduction to Google. So we get right to where we need to be within this behemoth of a company. And we got talking to them and they said, yeah, you know what? Actually, like the way you guys do it, like we're not set up to handle that, like the geography piece, like that would be too complicated for this integration. But um, we've got something else in mind and it's similar to what, you know, happened with open table and adding the button to the Google profiles so we got something else in mind, let's just keep in touch and we'll get back to you. And that was it, was that without paying any money at all, um, what they wanted to give us the ability to do was add the, this big blue button, the big blue button as we're calling it to a Google business profile, where people could you know, organically, like whether they were paying, buying ads or not, could have this button show up on their business profile that enables people to book their services. And for home services specifically, like for, you know, carpet cleaning to HVAC, to plumbing, to roofers, um, geography, like to book appointments, you have to consider geography because your customers don't live all side by side. If you're going to give somebody a time, you have to factor the driving distance between appointments and all that, which is what we do. So uh, anyways, they said, we want, how would you guys like to be, like, we're coming up with this new integration for home service where you could add that button to these profiles. Like, how would you guys like to like be one of the first companies, if not the first in the world, to add that, to have the ability to add that big blue button to a business profile on Google? And we said, yeah, that'd be amazing. That'd be fantastic. You know, like what an opportunity And so fast forward to January this year, they got back to us and said, we have the documentation, let's get something signed. February, we signed the deal, started the integration, very white glove, working hand in hand with the Google engineers to laddering up to a week ago. We're 100 percent live in the U.S. and they're starting testing on the rest of the world. um, And which kind of led me to an event that uh, was put on by LeadSnap in Orlando where we were invited to come and speak to a ma- to speak to a mastermind of marketing agencies. There was about uh, 28 marketing agencies there and talk to them about this new opportunity. So these are guys that, their clients are home service companies. And uh, we went to talk to them about this new opportunity where they could add this big blue button to the business profiles for their clients. Some of these guys manage like hundreds of business profiles if not thousands and uh, we hope to walk away from this event sort of maybe with five or six of these marketing agencies as partners sort of bringing the big blue button to the market. And, uh, we walked away with 25 out of the 28 and it's just last two weeks have been an absolute whirlwind as we're just onboarding all these guys and onboarding their clients and, uh, and, uh, sort of bringing this game changing
1: big blue button to the market. No, oh, that's so cool. Um, so if you are listening to this and you have a tech platform and you're thinking, I would like to have access to this big blue button and I have customers who could benefit from, uh, you know, uh, scheduling and helping, especially because it's like, as you heard, it's really about if you if you want to schedule based on zip code. Like, it's just, it's so smart. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Uh,
0: so the, probably the, the best way is to go to our website, rootzilla.com. And um, if you're interested in the partner program, we, there is a form that you can fill out on there to apply. Um, there's also con- a contact email address there if you just wanna you know, drop us a message or there's a, there's a phone number there. We have our, our team that uh, if you fill out our form uh, requesting more information or wanna get involved, uh, somebody from our team will call you back in less than 55 seconds, guaranteed. Um, and I, t- I just want to touch on that for a moment. Like that is something that you'll actually see a countdown clock on the screen counting down letting you know like how much time has gone by between what we promised you and when we're actually going to call you. So usually we call you back in about 30 seconds or so, but sometimes we're a little slower, but we promise you, we'll get back to you in less than 55 seconds because the chance of you closing an opportunity when you get back to somebody in less than 55 seconds is 400 times greater. Wow. Anyways, uh, we do that, and that's all part of like our scheduling process, how that increases conversions and all that. We And we, the way that we want the experience to be between us and our partners and our, and our customers is the same thing that we want our customer, or same experience that we want our customers to have between them and their customers and their clients. And so we like to practice what we preach. So please go to our website, rootzilla.com R-O-U-T-E, uh, Z-I-L-L-A.com. If I'm talking to Americans, they'll say Routezilla.com. <laughs> I, I,
1: I hang out to, with Americans all the yeah. time, so I think I say Route okay, too. There you go. Um, and it's totally an acquired <laughs> okay. thing because it's not. Yeah, I didn't say it ever before, but I do now. The, um, but yeah, rootzilla So uh, that's funny. And just as a side, uh, Go High Level is awesome. I think they're doing something super cool, and we're not competitive like at all. So. Um, yeah, they like (laughs) the, I have no doubt at some point in the future, we'll probably have a plugin directly into go high level just because we've had people like requesting that from us. And, um, but at the moment it's, they're not really, uh, we're sort of serving different, um, different segments, but the, uh, I really like what, what, um, what he's doing and, and what they're doing there as a team. Uh, they, they really came out of nowhere, like out of nowhere. And, um, through the coaching and the affiliate side have really grown a really cool business. So, uh, I've got a lot of, a lot of admiration and respect for those guys. That's cool. That's, that's neat that you, you got connected that way. Yeah. Oh,
0: that's amazing. Yeah. It's, uh, it's just the, you know, the power of one conversation or one connection to the next. And just, if you, if you quit, if you don't continue on the journey, then you, you'll never find out where this conversation was supposed to lead. That's right. And I think that's the, I think that's the moral of the, the story to kind of wrap it all up is like, just keep going. Don't quit. Don't stop. Like this, everything, everything that happens today, everything that happens tomorrow leads to something else. Just continue on the journey. As you stop, you might miss what, what happened today is actually leading you towards. Yes.
1: And I, I say, I want to say like, you know, on beh- behalf of everybody listening and myself, especially just like, man, Rob, I really appreciate you. And I thank you so much for what you've shared. Like you have shared some really good gold nuggets in this um, podcast where even like in the middle of this, the, this uh, like while we're having this conversation, I've like literally felt mine, my own mind in a couple areas shift and be like, oh, that is a way nicer. It's almost like, it's like you, you, you've you got like a shirt. It doesn't quite fit right. And then you're like, throw it out and you get enough. You're like that feels better. <laughs> I love yeah. that approach of how to think about those things and uh yeah, so I just want to say I really appreciate you, man and uh, yeah, this has been awesome and final question, just as we're leaving um, if you were to meet yourself 20 years ago, what would you what would you tell yourself?
0: Oh man um, I, you know I think. I think I would. I would tell myself to um, to just really um, stay focused, embrace every challenge, because that is your biggest. Every challenge is your biggest opportunity. You're not gonna. Um, if you ignore those, you're gonna. You're basically you're ignoring the opportunities life is trying to give you. And I think as a young person, a lot of times you get, uh, you really get caught up in just um, the quick, you know, trying to uh, get rich quick or, or just trying to find all this uh, satisfaction that you feel like you're entitled to or life owes you. And then I think as you get older, realize like like that just that's not happening it's not coming how come or whenever something good does happen it's fleeting like it disappears and then i think you just you start to realize that oh i see how this works like just you just have to keep going there is no there's no end point there's no magical you know when you win the you know the super bowl or the stanley cup i mean the best, the, ne- the best thing to do is to get up the next day and start training again. Get back on the journey. Get back on your horse. I mean, that's where the joy is. I mean, that, that moment's gone. It's literally gone. You can't stay there. You can't just stand there and hold the cup forever. Like, it's gone. It's over. Now you need to, you know, move on to your, your next thing. You put that one, you put that moment in the cookie jar, you know, and you remember that that happened and you and you reflect on, the, on it in terms of, like, what you're capable of. But... But you get back on your horse and you continue on the journey, and uh, and so I think I would really tell myself that to to live more in that way, like look for, just stay focused and really look for challenges. Yeah, um, so that is the pathway to I think to really enjoying the fruits of this world. Isn't
1: that cool that we both chose like paths where it's, it's we can choose to challenge ourselves and get better every single day and it never has to end like the journey of progression never ends like oh wow what a what a gift well rob thank you so much what an awesome awesome time let's go